0: You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by Writers with Day Jobs.
1: Hey, everybody! I'm Dan Lipman,
0: and I'm Kelly Daniels. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Dan?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. And
0: yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. I good. have a extra good um, clothing ensemble right now. Kind of a, a surprise because unseasonably warm weather and not much laundry. Yeah. So I have this hoodie sort of light coat combo that I'd never worn before. And I just saw myself in the mirror kind of walking out and I was just like, damn, I'm like hip like you know if i had some better shoes i would be like right in a window of a department store in downtown chicago that's where that's how i'm looking
1: today i'm glad i'm on skype because that would be distracting to look at i would just be feeling (laughs) bad about myself and fantasizing
0: both the uh hoodie and the um coat have been taken off though so i'm just long sleeve shirt t-shirt
1: you're wearing a shirt and pants (laughs) yeah ed socks and shoes I'm wearing a trucker baseball cap, a t-shirt, and uh, jeans. So you're
0: allowing our listeners at home to really mm-hmm. get a visual. Yeah. You know, phone sex it. always is like, what are you wearing? That's how you start it. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I What's won't phone- tell you how I know. That's, okay. We'll just keep that our, a, a secret. But uh, that's what I understand is the uh, intro to that
1: that particular entertainment. What are you wearing? <laughs> that goes to show you how like how important how you dress is to sexual attraction. I guess
0: so. Yeah. Or what
1: you're it, not wearing. Yeah. Oh, I see. Cause I would say, like, describe your cheekbones to me. <laughs>
0: there was some um book I read at one time in my life where everybody was nude. It was a science fiction fantasy kind of thing when I was younger. Everybody in the society was nude and then and clothing was somehow um only allowed to the upper classes and wearing any little bit of clothing was just unbelievably erotic to the plebeians. (laughs) And so like they would like stash a pair of underwear or
1: something and then, and then secretly put it on at night and woo. Well, you know, that makes sense. I remember as a, as a young man, sometimes I would be occasionally dragged to a strip club or something because somebody, you know, there'd be a lot of peer pressure and, uh, there'd be all these That's new sexist
0: people. of you. Did you know that? Yeah.
1: I didn't like it. I was uncomfortable and I don't do it anymore, but, um, there'd be all these new dancers and then there'd be this bartender and she'd be fully dressed and you'd look over and you she'd be the one that you'd be the most interested in. Yeah. So yeah. there's something
0: psychological there. You also thought you might have a chance with her as with the other ones on stage. No way. They would just because take your money. And yeah, was, the, the bartender was lower status. I would say, you know, she's working up to the stage.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know how it works. You seem to have a good uh, feel for it, though. I just, you know, I just have conviction
0: um, or seem to. All right. Hey, I'm going to ask you a question, Daniel. Oh, that's how we do these. Yep. sometimes. Daniels. Hey, what? Uh, this happens to you occasionally, I imagine. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't know what the question. Okay. Oh. Um, what, what do you do when you get a notification from a friend that their book is coming out. And before you answer that question, let me add a little bit to it. Okay. Um, Not only what you do, uh, you don't just get one friend, but another friend's book is coming out. And then a couple more friends' readings are coming up. And then there's somebody who is doing a podcast and they keep every week, they put out these new notifications and you're supposed to like subscribe and, you know, write reviews. And after a while you feel, you know, You've got like 15 things that you're supposed to do for all these friends of yours. Some of them are friends you know in real life. Some of them are Facebook friends. Some you've met. Some you want to impress. Others you don't really know at all. How do you manage all of this? I don't know. Um, mm. All these requests to help out your brothers and sisters in the writing racket.
1: Well, it must have something to do with being a good citizen. <laughs> That's right, Dan. That
0: is Correct. Um Well, there's a term out there called literary citizenship. Have you heard it? Uh, literary,
1: literary what?
0: Citizenship. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Explain. Have you heard about it, though? R- truly. I mean, I know we play this game where we're coy about our subject matter, but
1: had you heard that
0: particular term before uh, I, I introduced it?
1: I have heard the term uh, used a few times, yes. Right. It's out there. It has this vague sort of threatening nature to it. Kind of... <laughs> So Enjoy your youth, that sort of thing.
0: Well, anytime you have citizenship, you, you think that maybe your citizenship might be revoked, and, and then you also have to think about passports and standing in lines and things like that. That means we need to stop whatever we're doing and think back to the past um, in terms of revision. We're going to do some revision. Yeah, what do you think, man? Do you, uh, do you have some revisions in mind? Um, from past episode or episode does
1: The last episode we recorded, I told you about the book, The Vegetarian, and I had read, I had not finished it. I still had 40 pages to go. And uh, I made a promise to the listener that I would go ahead and finish those 40 pages before moving on to the next book So to see if my assessment was correct. Yep. I would say that, in fact, I did not finish the 40 pages. I just thought, eh, good enough, and I put it away. And I think that that is a ringing indictment against the book. And I'm going to, I'm happy to let that stand. But I wanted the listener to know that I did not follow through on what I promised to do.
0: You know, there's some ethics there. You know, I like that. And also I think it's fair. I think just not you, you remember my little attempt at doing, making myself into a blogger or something. I did a couple of these things called reviews of books I haven't finished. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think that's a a legitimate reaction to a book. You're not – you don't have to finish the damn thing if you don't like it. And I actually hate – there's something I hate about book advertising uh, in the age of the internet where it's the 12 books you have to read by so-and-so kind of people. 12 small press books. It's always this number. and, And I just don't like being told I have to read these books because you know what? I don't. (laughs) I just don't have to. I'm not in school anymore. I don't have a, you know what I mean? My professor is not going to grade me on whether I, you know, can regurgitate.
1: I Um, actually still remember a feeling I had. I I used to, I liked Jonathan Franzen a lot, his first two novels. And then as, you know, I started to like him less and less as he became a public celebrity. And by the time his fourth or fifth book came out, the one that was set in Minnesota, I remember being in the shower thinking to myself, no one is... There's actually nobody who's gonna make me read that thing. And it was such a great relief <laughs> to me. And I felt really good about it and I haven't read it and uh, I'm done with them. That's called Freedom, Dan. It smells called- good, huh? <laughs> I think that's what the book was called actually.
0: Oh really? Freedom? <laughs> well yeah. Yeah, I that's- do remember that, that book yeah. and that title. Um Yeah, no, I like the corrections a lot and that was but I didn't like it enough. <laughs> I didn't want to read another one. I, You know what it was? I liked it in spite of its, I don't know, sort of New York City middle upper middle class bullshit. Yeah. You know, this the milieu he works in is not my cup of tea. And it just, it, he's a, such a good writer that he made that one book super interesting to me, but I didn't yeah. want to live in his world anymore. That was just basically
1: it. That was his third book, and his first two books were great, and so was the corrections. I, I liked them, you know. I thought they were all fine, but um, but and, and his nonfiction essays are great too. He's a great essay writer. He's funny, but but just you know, sort of. I guess that's part of the risk of becoming a public personality is that your personality starts to uh, impose itself on your idea of the books. So your are meaning yeah. the reader. And I just uh, – I think I did read like 10 pages of it, and I just thought that I just don't want to read any more of it and or him. I don't want to hear his voice anymore. Yeah. Actually, it was something about the quality of his voice itself, which I didn't know when I read his first three books. That once I could hear, like it's, it was a lot softer than I thought, and it was a lot slower than I thought. And once I could actually hear his voice in my head, I did not want it in my head. You life. mean from interviews and stuff? Correct, yeah. yeah.
0: I heard him on Terry Gross once, and uh, he was in damage control kind of – Mode obviously because everybody hates him for some reason. I think it's kind of unfair. He's not that much of a monster as people have painted him to be. And I think some of his critiques of you know people who get famous by you know having a really active Twitter account. I sounds on its surface fair enough. Um, I don't. That doesn't seem right to me. That that's how we should judge who gets big book deals and all that. But, um, but yeah, I just he just has. There's that resting bitch face kind of line, probably a sexist thing there, but um, there's like something along those same lines with his voice, just ass voice. (laughs) You just just don't like him that much. And he was trying to, they made a big deal about his latest book. He had him really smiling on the back cover, which almost no writers do. I'm smiling on the back of my book. Did you know that, Dan? Did you notice?
1: I did not notice. Did you? I didn't. I don't recall a picture.
0: Yeah, there's a picture. Yeah, yeah, you have to read all the way through the book and get to the end.
1: Get to the end. Yeah. Okay.
0: Which <laughs> I know that's not very good literary citizenship of you to not know that my picture, to not have memorized the picture.
1: I stopped. Uh, I stopped at the part where your dad picks you up from school. <laughs> that's
0: that's it, it, that's all the good stuff. So that was okay. good of you to do that. I'm glad. Um, no, I just, you know, authors are so solemn, and they're author pictures, and I just thought, yeah, I'm yeah, not going to do that. I'm going to, like, smile and say, hey, man, I'm a joyful person and having a good time, and I'm not a whiner like all you people. That was my yeah. attitude.
1: I'm also smiling in my author photo, and somebody's got their arm around me, so it looks like I'm cuddly. Aww. So That's we're just sweet. two cuddly guys. That's what sweet. about you? What do you want to revise from last week?
0: Well, I uh, listened to the last um, episode that has come out, and that was the um, Anxiety of Influence one. And that was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. But I a thought clap. that I, I could have made fun of you a little harder about the new school, normal school. Mm-hmm. Um, fl- well, new, if any new school, normal uh, school gate, I think is what we're calling it on the podcast now. You did.
1: Um, you did make fun of me harder, but it wasn't recorded because we were in a bar with Joe Bonomo later yeah. on. Well, that's because I didn't quite to.
0: realize the extent of your, of you thinking that normal and new were like somehow the same word. Of and, my boner, <laughs> yes. Yeah, made fun well, of your boner. Hey, but that's that's actually not my real revision. That was just my intro to my real, um, the influence thing. I. I Missed an opportunity to spread some wisdom from my old teacher, Stu Dybeck. So this is a good name-dropping. Stuart, if you only read his books and don't know him personally. Um, He would actually talk about this a fair amount, about um, influence and originality. And he said that the trick is to not be just influenced by one writer. As soon as you have, like, five or six or seven or eight influences... No one can pick out any particular writer, that, and that's called originality. Mm-hmm. Even though there may be no – you're sort of – in his theory of it, the er, er, individual has no actual originality. It's just – except that you are the auteur, in a way, of collecting the things you're – of kind of curating the different – um thieveries that you have managed over the years, and right. kind of and kind of organizing them, and that's what originality is.
1: Well, that certainly makes sense, and it's an argument for uh, for reading as much as you can and, and as widely as you can. Yeah, he's a nice guy. I, I interviewed him for Fifth Wednesday.
0: Oh, so you could uh, you can call him Stu too. Uh,
1: I did call him Stu. You know, he offered to meet me for lunch. He said that he would take me out. We could get sushi, and I panicked. I was so nervous to meet him because I was such a fan that I just, I said no, because I was afraid of those, I said I was afraid of recording him in a public place that it wouldn't come out well. But um, in fact, I was just afraid to have lunch with him. Isn't that sad?
0: And he was so nice. Well, and he's also something of a gourmand. He really, he enjoys his food and uh, sushi, you know, he should have done it. And he's actually really generous. He would like do things like buy the whole graduate class, like drinks and appetizers for no doubt having several hundred dollars worth of bill at the end, he was that kind of guy,
1: very yeah I just could, a good I, I, guy all around I lost an opportunity. I sent him um I sent him a copy of my own book that's that's how much of an asshole I am yeah. to, to like thank him. I sent him some other things, but I sent him that too, and then he actually read it and wrote me a note or he read one story of it and wrote me a note about it, so I was really uh he what a real nice guy. what a literary citizen
0: yeah, that is an absolutely great transition back, and I was getting ready to do it, but you. You already saw it coming, or maybe you knew that you were going to transition back there. So I applaud you, sir. Um, So, (sighs) literary citizenship. Um, Did did you answer that question about what you do? With I mean, do you ever just say, "Fuck this guy," (laughs) you know? Or I'm just too busy. Or where where's the cutoff for you, Dan? Because you can't champion every single. If you have like you know two or three thousand Facebook friends, you can't champion every book. Um, right. And you just, you would be a full time publicist basically for everybody who you've ever met or Facebook friended or fa- Facebook friended you. And there's also some people who are just do it and that's all they do. And that's your, their only connection to you is that they are constantly bombarding you with opportunities to help publicize their book for free
1: or join their pages. You know, like so and so author invited you to join his page, so and so author.
0: Yeah. So I don't know, where do you stand on this whole thing? I mean, is it our duty to um to champion is it our our duty to literature with a capital L or even a small a lowercase L? I mean, what where do you stand? Yeah. It, it seems like the the people who use the term literary citizenship, there's even classes taught called literary citizenship, I heard on You're Facebook. Kidding. Like, yeah, it's like it, maybe it's a one credit instead of 3, but it's you know, indoctrinating the MFA people into, "Hey, this is how this industry works," and it starts. It, it I don't know. I mean, is it a pyramid scheme on some level, where the professor is just all my students have to buy my book because that's. I don't know, man. I I guess that, I'm just that, sort of rambling. But where where do you stand on this whole thing?
1: Yeah, it's a I I think that um, I probably get asked to write blurbs and that sort of thing a lot less than you do. Uh, and I would say certainly that if I had friends who were podcasting, I would make it a priority to go on and give them a five star review on on iTunes immediately. Yeah. But other than that, well, like podcasts
0: if a- are free. That's the thing. Like we are giving a gift to you, gentle yeah. listeners, um, and there's no um, fifteen ninety nine fifteen ninety five price tag on it. So that's different, don't you think?
1: Absolutely, and I think that it's the least that uh, that I I would feel. I would feel obligated to give a five-star review with a couple of nice notices underneath it. But as for, well, first of all, obviously, like when somebody that you actually know or when a friend writes, um, gets a book published or something like that, you get excited for that person. But then there's also this idea that um, if you're friends with them, are you afraid to sign? There are some places where you can review under a pseudonym, like on on book What's a, a good reads or something like that? I guess yep. it does have your real name, but I, I always feel like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm married to a writer. Do, do I give her a good review? I'm good. I think her books are fantastic. I know they're fantastic. And she's, you know, yeah. published widely, Why but not? If, if I go on Goodreads and give her a good review, people who know us are going to be like, Oh, that's her husband. And you
0: know, yeah. what, what but people gonna- who don't know you won't. And also the way the reviews work, if you hit a certain number, if you just, I mean, it's pure numbers. Just like in iTunes for the podcast, if you get a certain number of reviews, they start, you start appearing on people's, um, Amazon page. And so, and those, the numbers of review have nothing to do with, like, they're not going to filter out the ones that are your personal friends. It's just, hey, how many reviews do you have? And people buy reviews, which is, right. um, unethical and, uh. I heard that I read about this on iTunes. If they suspect, if you get caught buying reviews, they'll uh, kick your podcast or your music off of iTunes.
1: Well, what about Amazon? I mean, I'm always getting notices like, I'll send you a free ebook if you'll review it. And I think the understanding is that if you review it positively, but maybe that it's never said.
0: But that's not actually, that doesn't go under the purview of um, buying reviews. That's actually considered real. Um, no, the quiz. buying reviews is basically a bunch of dudes in Pakistan or India get paid a certain amount in their like little computer banks where they do this, and they just start pumping your page full of fake reviews. That none of them read the book. They just give... And they even have bots that will do it, stuff like that.
1: Huh. So there's an actual service you can pay for.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and you can kind of tell when you, when you read through, uh, you know, a certain book has... 278 reviews and you start reading through and there's just this kind of generic quality to almost all of them. They're really short and they're really vague. Um, so uh, yeah, no, that's a real thing. And obviously, why wouldn't it be a thing if the stakes are so big? Like you getting a lot of reviews is the difference between you selling a bunch of books and not. So why not game the system? Everybody's constantly trying to game the system except for us because we're just suckers we think right we have this idea of honor
1: (laughs) we're a two-man greek chorus trying to uh podcast to power letting (laughs) the people know what's happening
0: yeah no that is happening though i mean anytime you have a system you're gonna have people that are gonna try to game the system you know that's just how it is
1: so then let's i mean let's get back to the original issue then like what we're writers what do we owe the quote-unquote Community back. I mean, what is there that we have to do, or what should we be doing? Should we be going to all the book readings? Should we be buying books? How many books do we need to buy to, <laughs> to uh, you know, is it, it's it's like social security. You got to buy books, and then somebody will buy your book.
0: Yeah. Um, well, here's my follow up question to that: What if you really you like the person, nice person, working hard, whatever, good literary citizen, bought your book, reviewed it, did everything but you hate that person's book. Like you just don't like it. You know, you're allowed to, and it doesn't mean that you don't like the person. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. You just think the book is bad or just not to your taste. Um, does, how does that play into, I guess, honesty, you know, do you still kind of share the, the guy's reviews and still, Hey, go out and buy this book. And Hey, so-and-so did this. Um, or do you just kind of quietly not do it?
1: You're not talking about my book, right? No,
0: your book was um, the greatest. Yeah, I got real quiet.
1: I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't talk over that when you said something. like that. <laughs> but, Yeah. The, I think that, I mean, I wonder what the analogy is. You know, if, if you had, a, if we were all friends and we were a group of friends, but we weren't writing books, but we were, we were, worked in a grocery store or we had a pharmacy or whatever it is, I'm looking out the window and those are the businesses I see here, um, do you, do you have to do you have to shop in your friend's grocery store do you have to uh, use your friend's lawn care company and if not then why is it why do you have to do it if it's literature
0: yeah i mean and I think some people would say you do have to use your friend's laundry service or whatever and I guess the question is um if it's all things are equal, why wouldn't you unless you're just an asshole um but what if that laundry service is way out of the way and it takes an extra 15 minutes of driving to get there? And um, what if, what if just the quality is not very good? You know, you just have had some problems with the quality and it's hard like to tell they, your they friend that.
1: The, the stain out of the collar. Now I'm angry.
0: Yeah, that's.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, the the question and I and before we get too silly, I mean, the, the question is, is like, what do you do if you aren't? uh your heart's not in the support for the book or if you if you are uh if you don't like the book but you want to support the writer that's what you're saying that's what you're asking
0: yeah or yeah i guess if or maybe you don't want to support the writer that's the other possibility maybe it is like no i don't think as much as i like this person i don't want this book to succeed because i don't think it's a good book and i think that the best books should be the successful books and I, may, maybe that's just a theory that's just stupid and crazy in itself, like the idea of kind of meritocracy of books. Um, yeah. We know that's not how it really works. The most popular books are usually poor quality from my perspective, right? The Fifty right. Shades of Grey kind of thing. Not No serious writer thinks that's a good book. Um, and the fact that it sold all these copies is just more an indictment of the, the sort of taste of people who um, – I don't know. We're getting into a different I mean, subject in a way. It doesn't
1: even function as a book, that, that particular product. But yeah, so I mean, there there is something to Literary Citizen. I think you would agree to it. I mean, once you start codifying things, there's, a, there's a, almost a, a danger to it. If you say like, well, you have to blurb anybody who asks you to blurb, or you have to go to all these book readings if they're happening around you. But nonetheless, I mean, you should as a as a person interested in the arts, I mean, you should be supporting the scene, whatever it is around you.
0: What if you're like somebody who I'm not going to name, who is really proud of my, uh, and happy for me that I publish in the sun regularly, but then says, how come they're not giving away their, their uh, content online free? And then they Mm -hmm. get mad because the thing that I put online is a, a teaser. It's only like a third of the story. And then they will refuse to the actual issue Um, because they expect everything to basically come on for, to be free on the internet these days. What would you say to that particular person?
1: What if that person read that third of the thing and just thought that was the whole essay? Wouldn't you be worried about that?
0: I would. And I, I, that's why I always would tell that person that wasn't the whole thing. That's why it didn't seem like it was over because it wasn't. (laughs) So Uh, (laughs) anyway, that happens,
1: believe it or not. Oh, I do believe it. I do believe it. I think. Uh, I, th- I think that we've had a similar conversation. But uh, <laughs> the, well, the, I mean, that's a different issue. Is should the Sun be giving their stuff for free? And I think the the magazine that I work for, Fifth Wednesday Journal, we don't. We we give some stuff online, but it's still mostly uh, on. You still have to buy it. It's still you know hard copy mostly. But the uh, Sun
0: is is a different beast in that it it actually breaks even. And I don't know about Fifth Wednesday, but most. Literary journals are supported by a university, or somebody's losing money somewhere along the line, or there's a grant that's paying for it, and nobody really expects to sell copies. You know, you, you just – it isn't that kind of thing. Um,
1: so what this, are you saying – what's the difference then? That Because it's a successful magazine, it shouldn't um, – The reason it's successful
0: be- is because it gets people to buy issues, and that's so, why they're able to pay their writers. And all writers say, hey, I wish we got paid for what we do. But a lot of those same writers will not pay for an actual magazine because they think they should get everything, every bit of content online. Same with newspapers, right? Why should I get the New York Times when I, I just get their content on, online free? Um, mm-hmm. And it, or maybe I, I think this is a subcategory of the discussion of literary citizenship, is the idea of free, getting stuff free rather than paying for it. Somebody's paying for it somewhere. Right and either, and we're also when it comes to getting free online content we're paying we're veering off my script, by the way, um you're paying for it in your time, dredging through all the shit that's on the internet to find that one out of a hundred articles that actually is good, well written well researched, vetted, interesting, useful, um and we pay for that in our our time of like going through Facebook and clicking on all kinds of stuff that isn't good. Um, and uh, you know, it's like reading through it is like I'll paraphrase uh, now in one of his books. He said that reading the news is like upending a trash can over my head, but I do it anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, so we should spend our money and our time on the stuff that we like when it comes to novels and we shouldn't always be looking for freebies because if we're not going to pay for it, nobody else is going to pay for it.
1: I I I guess is what
0: I'm sort of coming to.
1: I would generally agree with that. There there's an other end of literary citizen. There's a journal and I won't say the name of this journal, but, um, they have this whole, uh, I, I picked up a hard copy of this magazine and they, there was this big editor's note in the back about how people aren't buying the magazine. They get a lot of, um, submissions but they don't get nearly as many people actually purchasing the magazine what it doesn't say in the editorial is that they charge for those submissions there's a reader's fee so i think that that once you have already paid to have your story once you've already paid for a uh, you know a non-personal rejection slip then you don't you're not also then obligated to go back and buy the magazine so the literary citizenship kind of cuts both ways and the publishing houses are going to have to be a little bit nicer to the people who are providing, in many cases, free, con- free content to them if they also want to be respected by those same people. Um, you know, I think a, a
0: model that isn't bad <clears throat> is uh, you have to buy a subscription is your reading fee. And so, well, I don't know. It's Maybe limiting,
1: though. I mean, it, it gives you – that gives you – I mean, I, how big is your budget? I can yeah, subscribe yeah, – yeah. Three magazines.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And how many pieces of mail do you want to get every
1: day? Like, <laughs> You know, at some point, you right. don't want to read yet another magazine. The um, day that uh, the Prairie Schooner comes in your mailbox it isn't going to be a fun day. It's just going to feel like homework.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Why do you hate the Prairie Schooner? What did they do uh, to you?
1: Decades of being ignored by them. Yeah. It Fuck adds them. up. Fuck yeah.
0: them. You know? If yeah. they hurt my friend Dan's feelings, then they are not my friends.
1: Right. You That's... take your slush pile and shove it up your uh, schooner.
0: Your, uh, yeah, slush pile hole. Um, your, your folks hole. Yeah. Do you know what a
1: bunghole is? I don't. What is it? Does it have something to do with a pig?
0: No, a bunghole is uh, kegs of wine and beer. It's the hole that you uh, smash the uh, cork into. Oh. That's what you were talking
1: about?
0: The bunghole. Okay. Uh, No, just a little trivia. You learn things on this program.
1: Yeah. Um, Hashtag bunghole. It's going to be on our Let me ask
0: one more more kind of complicating question. Would you, when it comes to um, supporting your friend's work, um, books and all that kind of business, um, would you make a – do you feel differently about a self-published book versus a traditionally published book?
1: yes how so well i'll tell you what if if the if the person is being honest about it then um then no and, you know if it's a friend of mine and they published they've self published a book or independently published to use the nomenclature of the day then then i'm perfectly fine with that but i am finding lately that there are people who have self published their books and who are like not uh being forthright about that it's not part it's you know um, I know somebody who's self published a book and is constantly, you know, in, in, good with she's good with the promotion and everything like that, but she keeps saying things like my editor and all this stuff like that in the interviews, and I know it's not true. It's it's uh
0: mm-hmm. it may
1: be an editor, but it's not in the way she that probably she probably
0: hired an editor, right?
1: I don't even know if that happened, but maybe. Yeah. I mean so anyway, that's what I'm saying. So if somebody's forthright and saying, like I've I've independently published this, I I don't have a problem buying. So it. you don't it's
0: like a- the sneaky pretending kind of okay that makes sense right. hey congrats you you just used the word forthright in a way that david foster wallace d- used the word incorrectly forthcoming and uh, we all know we talked about this before you remember
1: this was on the last the last one we were you said you were I-
0: going to do uh, research to see if i was right about the forthright forthcoming
1: and there it is you boner. just heard that i did it
0: did you actually do the research or did you just no. believe me
1: no, I forgot about it the second the, we were done recording.
0: That hurts.
1: But I'm jotting it down. I didn't forget about you.
0: Oh, forgot about, okay. oh just everything I say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I, – I love you, but I'm just not in love with you. I love, Understood. That's a good distinction. Um, what are you wearing? <laughs> it's really – it's like steamy hot in here, so I have been actually undressing – Um. I hope no students come. It's between terms right now, so uh, I feel relatively safe that nobody's going to come in, so that's all right. Um, Hey, man, that's a good segue into our final segment, Okay. and that is, uh, how do we say it? Um, How's the reading, writing, teaching, Dan? What are you
1: working on? How's the reading? How's the writing? I've just finished reading The Lathe of Heaven again. Have you read that ever?
0: No, I've heard of it. What is it? Remind me.
1: Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, yeah dystopian um you know vision of the future a man dreams and his dreams change reality but it's not it's not stupid like you're thinking it's the the, the reality doesn't like there the, the people in the reality don't know that the reality has changed so he if he dreams that there's a a pink horse then horses are pink and horses have always been pink and he's just the only one who remembers that he made this change yeah through yeah. a dream so he's like and, a
0: god just sort of like without even understanding why
1: I mean he basically has that power but he can't control it. Yeah. And what happens is he goes to a psychiatrist or a, you know like a dream specialist who attempts he's also aware of it and so he attempts to control it. Like he um he he tries to there's a food shortage and he tries to cure the food shortage but the guy actually dreams of a plague and kills 6 billion people and so there's all these ramifications and there's a lot of social criticism. Um I teach it I use it as part of the creative writing class that I teach and this year reading it uh I was astonished by the sort of the parallels of, of living in Trump's America because basically what you have is two people. Who are const- The world is constantly shifting and they're constantly being told things about the world that were not true yesterday and probably won't be true tomorrow. So they're constantly sort of like reorienting themselves in the world and trying to figure out what's true and what you know no longer is true. And um, it's not exactly what's happening, but uh, I thought that there's a lot of resonances. And I would recommend to our listeners and any young writer, in fact, to read The Lathe of Heaven, Ursula K. Le Guin. They made two movies. Don't watch them. They're both bad. Sounds awesome. It's a great book. I'd like to read it. Um, you know how you know it's a great book is that Michael Chabon blurbed it right on the cover.
0: Oh, yeah. Because Michael Chabon's a terrible literary citizen. He he only blurbs things he likes. He'll <laughs> never help, help his friends out. So we can trust. The worse the literary citizen, the more trustworthy that person is as a I, source. Huh?
1: Yeah, good. That's What a, about you? What have you been up to?
0: Well, I thought – I haven't talked about writing in a – a good while I've been sort of you know going through all those and and we're in between terms, so I don't really have much to say about teaching and um i uh am reading some interesting things but uh as far as the writing went i I would admit that the uh, recent uh, shift in i suppose uh our global situation, our national situation uh th- really threw me off, and I think a lot of writers probably have felt this way that. Yeah. Every I mean everything did shift in a way um pretty significantly um our reality shifted and so the thing that you were working on just may not pertain anymore and so I I stopped working on my novel that I was pretty far into just kind of wondering is this still matter and then I jumped around to a number of different um uh, Projects and one of them, I want to tell you about one of them that I've abandoned. I didn't even go anywhere with it, but just to tell, talk about my own folly, I suppose. um, I had this uh, this thriller novel manuscript that I wrote a long time ago, and that it uh, it never went anywhere. And I I finished a draft of it, and I showed it to five literary agents, and they um, said no. And then I just lost um, confidence in the piece and just didn't keep trying. Um, My favorite. My favorite uh, comment from a, an agent for that one was, "Wow, yeah, really, a beautiful writing, um, but it's kind of strange. It's just kind of too literary to be a thriller, and too thrilling to be literary." <laughs> and so I'm like, "God forbid, you know, our literature is interest is thrilling." But uh, so, um, while I, I actually wrote a few of the chapters in my very last writing workshop when I was um, in school before finishing up there this is it, wild. oh yeah it was a, it was just an old piece that had been sitting around for years and um so and my the comments i got were yeah you know good scene work and really good writing and and you know it's sort of like there's a plot developing i see that but everybody said the same thing it's like you know i just couldn't stand the main character i just hated like he was so condescending and he's like this loser but he thinks he's better than everybody and He's just this kind of, I just hated being in that guy's head. And I'm sitting yeah. there pretending to write notes and just yeah. thinking that that main character is totally me. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, okay. And uh, it was like one of those, there's that poem. I forget who wrote it, but it ends with, you must change your life. Where the guy's <laughs> gazing at, at, the, uh, at a statue. Yeah. Um, Roth, Rothka,
1: Rothke? Roth- uh, Theodore
0: Ruffke. Is that? Yeah. I forget. I get that guy, the name confused with the the painter. Oh, Klee. That's not even close. Yeah. No. Um. But nobody anyway, it, it was one of those moments. And, and, and anyway, so that was the problem with it. And then I, I decided, you know what? I, I need to, like, nobody wants the the white male perspective anymore, and that's been, you know, and and so i fell into that that sort of despair of 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 uh you know whatever and so i t- i changed it to a female who's like anyway i i wrote about a couple of paragraphs of it um with this and i had this very particular woman woman character in mind i was sort of creating her in my mind the perfect character for nowadays and and she was going to be this sort of badass woman and, and I don't know it's not a terrible idea, but my motives were un were not I was trying to repurpose this failed project by trying to play up to the market and uh so i didn't
1: a bad idea
0: yeah i mean i it might be might have been the best idea I've ever had, but it was wasn't for me, and so now I'm back to my original novel, which I see was not. Was perfectly situated to the post-Trump era. It's just I didn't know it while I was writing it before Trump. It was all the setup because it's fairly political, um, but it's more the the precursor to all the problems we have now. And um, so uh, I'm back on that, and it feels good. It's fun. Well, fun maybe you
1: could you could repurpose it as a cautionary tale. Uh, you know, you can have a time traveler go back in time and say, "If only we would have changed things." Well,
0: we interestingly, um, reading like the first chapter, which I wrote, of course, you know, m- many months ago and months before uh, uh, the election, there was there's very much a prediction that this was going to happen. It wasn't specifically Trump, but it was don't let Obama fool you. The There's like this right wing, you know, white, you know, kind of supremacist thing and i was I was writing about the midwest like as a as a person who's not from the midwest but who's been here for a while and just like no this is pretty this is not a you know kind of open diverse diversity loving population at all this is like white people who are full of resentment and anger and love guns and love god in that order um so there was all that kind of stuff in the first oh, chapter. Dear. I know. I just lost my whole arts funding forever by saying <laughs> that. Um so anyway. Yeah, you
1: know your your story this is slightly off topic but your workshop story reminded me of like one time when I was in a workshop I just wrote a story about Molly and myself my wife and uh I mean I didn't change anything but the whole workshop was just about how horrible these people were and they couldn't imagine that these two people would be married to each other. They were so nasty to each other and they were, they, nobody would be friends with them. They wouldn't like each other. Nobody would like them. That was basically what the whole workshop was, was like sort of just attacking their two personalities. And it really was, I mean, I, there was no fiction in it at all. It was just basically describing something that had happened to my wife and myself. I wonder if any,
0: how many of those people were married though. None of them, right. Yeah. I was the
1: only one married. I was a little bit older than all the other kids at the workshop my students
0: talk about marriage and their their ideas of it like are so quaint and yeah
1: but i'm just like man it ain't like that i'm sorry like Like, Like, you know it just ain't gonna be like that but i was describing a fight and and somebody said well why would they stay married if they if they fight this hard and i was like what the fights are what that's what you do that's that's how you get through the day It's what you (laughs) do when you're married by many of them and I hope that those people are happy, successful writers and married and, uh, and with loving partners. I hope they've learned their lesson and they're thinking Kelly.
0: back on how great your story was and how wrong, wrong, wrong they were and just feeling like they should make up f- for it by buying your book and supporting your podcast. Exactly.
1: Five-star reviews. This is the fastest 40 minutes every week, Kelly.
0: Yeah, no, I always enjoy it. Um, I Thank you for sharing with me. Yeah, man. It's been good good times. Um, yeah, let's uh get together in person. You are in uh we are connected by Skype at this point. Um Today. just I didn't want to try to fool people into thinking that we're like high fiving uh, each other across the table right now. Mm-mm. But virtual high five. Ready? Okay. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, that was the echo of it. That was fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, all right, it's man. Thank you, and
0: thank you, guys, for listening. As always, thank you, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye bye. Adios. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Student Radio. Gabe Tucker is our audio engineer, and Subatlantic provides the theme music. You can reach Dan and Kelly on Facebook. We always welcome comments, critiques, suggestions, and especially praise. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, do a podcast to Solid and leave a review on iTunes. See you next time.